Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he spoke, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go your way, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it, to preach it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Praise be to God for the giving, the reading, and the receiving of his word. Amen. Mark chapter 1, we had a sermon on it a couple months ago now as we looked at Jesus' baptism. And here in this scene, we see another little vignette that Mark has given us in his gospel. Indeed, there's a series of, of pictures. If you could imagine standing in a, in a gallery and you're seeing these little pictures on the wall, Mark is showing us who Jesus is through these vignettes, these little moments. And here in verses 40 through 45, we have this miracle of the cleansing of a leper. In order to get here from where we began, though, in Jesus's ministry, as recorded by Mark in his baptism, we do need to do a little brief uh, survey, as it were. And really what I want you to notice, if you have your Bible out in front of you, open in front of you, if you look at verses 21 through 28, there's this vignette, this scene where Jesus has cast out unclean spirits. Jesus went into the synagogue and, as it were, cleansed it of demons. It's another sermon for another day. But Jesus, in that scene, in that moment, as his fame is spreading, as Jesus is rebuking these unclean spirits and telling them, as he says in verse 25, be quiet and come out, it begins to grow this question among the scribes and the Pharisees. And they ask it in verse 27, what is this? What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with what authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And this question in verse one or chapter one, verse 27 is carried all the way through. If we went through the book of Mark together, we would see it's really not answered until we get to chapter nine. This whose authority is this one speaking? And Jesus shows us Chapter 9 in Mark's Gospel is the Mount of Transfiguration. It becomes unmistakable who Jesus or by what authority Jesus is doing these things. Later on in Mark chapter uh, 3 and around chapter 3 and chapter 4, the, the Pharisees think they have it figured out. They say, we know whose authority he is casting demons out and doing all these miracles in. 
It's by the authority of Beelzebub. And Jesus says, no, it's not. A house divided cannot stand. In chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, this question that was raised in verse 27 is being answered. And it begins to be answered in verse 29, indeed all the way, like I said, until chapter 9. But the first little scene that we have of it being answered is in verses 29 through 31. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. He restores her to table fellowship with the disciples. Verses 32 through 34, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man who was sick. And if you notice in verse 33, we start to see this gathering uh, crowd. Verse 33, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases. Verse 34. And then verse 35, Jesus goes early in the morning before daylight to a solitary place and he prays. Verses 36 through 37, the disciples are eagerly seeking him. And when they find him, they say, as they do in verse 37, where are you, basically? Everyone is looking for you, all of these crowds that have gathered, right? Where's the main event? Jesus is gone. Then we see in verse 40, Jesus has moved, as it were, back into this preaching among this crowd, and a leper approaches him. I say all that as way of introduction because we need to set the stage properly for our understanding of what this miracle is. Indeed, this is a true miracle. And Jesus shows us his power. Primarily, Jesus shows his authority and his compassion. And Mark is showing us this ministry of Christ. And indeed, Jesus says that his purpose in coming was to preach the gospel. That is why he came, to preach the gospel, to preach the coming of the kingdom. That's verse 14 in chapter 1. But the people are coming to him for healing. Not to disconnect the preaching of the gospel from Jesus' healing ministry, but those two things are not necessarily equal. And what we see beginning to build, the tension beginning to build in Mark's gospel, is that the people are coming to Christ for one thing, but his mission is something other. And indeed, after chapter 9, we see many fall away because Jesus' teaching starts to get centered more on the cross. But before us this morning is a true miracle. And I say that because maybe you have heard this uh, chapter preached before, this section preached before. Maybe you've heard people talk about it. And many times when we get into discussing Jesus' miracles... We fall into ditches of error on either side. One ditch is we spiritualize the whole event. And we say this is all about us as sinners. Well, there's an aspect of that, but that's not the purpose of Jesus healing this leper. The other ditch that we might fall into is allegorizing the whole thing. This is just, this is just a story. It didn't actually need to happen in order for it to be recorded. Well, that's not true either. See, what we have here is a real healing. There was a real man who was full of leprosy, as Luke, recording the same event, tells us. He is absolutely in a desperate situation. Apart from the healing work of God, there's no hope for this man. 
Leprosy was a terrible disease. It was a disease that was unhealable. There was no treatment for it. You couldn't go to the doctor and get a cream to put on the leprosy and make it go away. This isn't plaque psoriasis that they tell us, you know, we see so many commercials for. I'm sorry if you suffer with that, but this is far worse. No, there was no hope for this man. This man comes to Jesus. So that's what Mark is recording for us. Mark is recording for us a real miracle. And the Gospel of Mark is full of these brief yet powerfully vivid vignettes of Jesus' earthly ministry. And again, before us is such an account. So I want you to orient your mind and your heart around this being a real historical event. And what we see in the short span of these five verses is Mark showing us the truth of Jesus' human compassion and the reality of his divine authority. As the incarnate servant of Jehovah, Jesus came to preach the coming of the kingdom. Yet he did it with compassion and authority. Mark records Jesus' miracle of cleansing the leper to reveal to us, to you, dear Christian, Christian both Jesus' compassion and Jesus' authority. And that's how we will look at this passage together. Two parts. The cleansing of the leper reveals that Jesus has compassion, verses 40 through 41. And then we'll see that the cleansing of the leper reveals that Jesus has authority, verses 42 through 45. So let's dig in, as it were, to this feast that is before us in God's word. The leper who humbly pleads for compassion from the Lord. Look at verse 40. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice the posture of the leper. If you were to see this in the original language, all of these ing words, imploring, kneeling, saying, they're all connected and they're all happening at the same time. It's as if this leper is literally crawling to Jesus, saying, heal me. It shows his heart, his humble plea. There's just one problem. If you knew your Levitical law, you would know that this leper should not have approached Jesus. He should not have been with this crowd that was gathered. No, according to Levitical law, he, everywhere he went, would have to proclaim, unclean, unclean, and let the people scatter and get out of his way. We weren't supposed to touch him. We weren't supposed to be near him. And anything he touched, he defiled. And anything he went near was defiled. He had to live outside of the city. But here we have a leper doing none of those things. Doing none of those things. He boldly comes to Christ. Imagine you're standing in the crowd. And this man has just pushed his way past you. You're listening to Jesus teaching and you're thinking, man, just stand in line. There's a bunch of us here. And he goes to Jesus and he says, make me clean. I am a leper. And he stretches out his hands and there's blisters everywhere. And you go, whoa, he just touched me. I got to get out of here. And in that moment, you're looking at Jesus thinking, well, what is he going to do? He's a rabbi. You can imagine the Pharisees standing in the corner going, uh-oh, 
What's he going to do? That man clearly just broke the law of God. Rebuke him. Send him out. Lord, I'm unclean. Kneeling, crawling, groveling as it were. What does the text tell us? What did Jesus do? Verse 41. Jesus then moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touched him. That man shouldn't have even been in the room. Jesus touched him. Imagine every Pharisee falling out in a southern faint, as it were. He touched him. Children, imagine somebody who is covered in boils. Their skin is just disgusting. Not only the way that they look, but the way that they smell. They lived outside of the camp. They were living in a time when you didn't take showers every day. This man carried the leprosy everywhere he went. It was part of his identification. It was who he was. He was repulsive. He was disgusting. Jesus touched him. You see in this moment, the most defiled man who would defile any other man he came into contact with is touched by the undefiled. Jesus moved with compassion, touches the man. Something sometimes we forget in this season, I think, this Christmas season, it's wonderful, it's glorious. I, I, love, I love Christmas. Maybe some of you visitors here, oh no, we're in a Presbyterian church to see what their view on Christmas is. I love Christmas, many of us in here do. It's a wonderful holiday to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is something powerful about the image of a humble babe coming, being born in the manger. manger. Amen. Yes, Jesus is humble. Jesus was lowly. Amen. Why? Jesus was compassionate. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're, you're, you're hiding some sin, right? Thinking, I got my, my, get, I got my jacket on. I got my gloves on. I got my hood on. No one can see And as you're hearing the word of God read and as you're hearing the word of God preached and as you're hearing the hymns being sung, you're thinking, I am just filthy. I don't even belong to be in this room. Will you plead for cleansing from Jesus? You, dear sinner, cannot make Jesus sinful. But he can make you clean. You cannot defile him, but he can make you pure. That's really what's at the heart of this plea. This man isn't just coming to Jesus because his skin hurts. Every aspect of his life is affected by this disease. He has no family. He has no friends. Maybe he has some friends and the fellow lepers, but let's face it, they just keep falling apart. Jesus is restoring his body, but he's also restoring His relationships. He's restoring every aspect of this man. The incarnation restores 
as every aspect of our humanity. Jesus did not just come to die for your soul. Jesus came to die for your body. We had a death in our congregation this past week. Beautiful saint. Dear Christian, we will see her again. Her body that is now being corrupted by death will be made incorruptible. Your body will be made incorruptible. Just as this leper, you will be completely cleansed, completely healed. Body and soul united forever in the presence of God for all eternity. That is the glorious reality of the incarnation. And it's right here before us. Jesus didn't go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, your sins are forgiven, but you got to go. We'll deal with that body stuff later. Now, Jesus looked at that man, the whole man, moved with compassion, reaches out and touches him. And what happens? What happens? Back half of verse 41 and 42. He touches him and he says, I am willing be cleansed. The incarnational reality of this passage is unavoidable. Both by his word and by his body, Jesus heals this man. Jesus heals you, dear Christian, by his word and with his body. We can't avoid that. We can't separate that. And I pray you never do in your understanding of who this Jesus is. He is the God-man. And as man, he has manly or human compassion for your condition. He knows the weakness of your flesh. He's experienced it, yet without sin, undefiled, yes and amen, but he knows what it feels like to be tired. He knows how temptation, although not from himself outward, but surely sorely oppressed from without, but he knows how our bodies Make us more susceptible to sin. Take off your cloak. Take off your gloves. Take off your hood. Try to cover your sin in your own strength. Come to Jesus who will cleanse you. Why? Because he is full of compassion. Jesus is full of compassion to heal sinners like you and like me. But there's more in this passage. It doesn't just stop there. It goes on. Jesus does this, moved by compassion, but he does it in order to reveal his authority. Remember the question that we're answering. It starts in verse 27 of chapter 1. What is this? What is this new doctrine? Uh, we get it. He can cast out demons. Okay, well, he can make a sick woman feel better. She got back to serving them at the table. And okay, he casts out another demon. But here's this leper. He touches him. He says, be clean. And the man is immediately cleansed. What is this? If you read later in Mark, you'll see Herod even says, this is John the Baptist back from the dead. Come to get me. What these people were experiencing then was something that they could not fathom. What is this? And Jesus says what it is. Jesus tells us what it is in verses 42 through 45. He says, as soon as he spoke, verse 42, as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. One time done. 
But then he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. See, we see Jesus' authority revealed in verse 42 because it was by his word alone, really. The touching was there, yes. The touching was met by the word, but he spoke. As soon as he had spoken, Mark says. So the touching, we could just put it in order maybe to logically help us think about this. He reaches out and he touches him. Nothing happens. But as soon as Jesus says, be cleansed, immediately it happens, right? Mark says, by his word, he had spoken and immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus is, reveals his authority by proclaiming the leper to be clean. Jesus has the authority to proclaim cleansing. Jesus has the authority to proclaim Cleansing. Now, you might be thinking, well, big deal. So did the priests. See, later Jesus sends, sends him in verse 44, says, go to the priests as a testimony. Uh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't mix this up. The priests did not have the authority to proclaim somebody to be clean. The priests had the authority to identify somebody as clean. See, the leper was to go to the priest and to be washed and then they would watch and then they wash and then they watch for a few days and then after a certain period of time the priest would say well indeed the leprosy is gone that's not what jesus does here is it not at all jesus says be clean he's clean jesus has authority to cleanse the leper by his word he proclaims him to be clean and he is what does this tell us about jesus he is very, very powerful. And also, not just a man. I don't know, maybe when you were a kid, maybe you young ones in here have tried to do this. Have you ever thought maybe, just maybe, you have telekinesis? Be real honest. We all have done it, right? I'm not that weird. Where you think if you stare at something hard enough, you can move it with your mind. Or maybe you're laying in the bed and you think, because you don't want to get back up, you just got comfortable, you left the light on, and you think, light, turn off. We know how ridiculous it is for us to think that our word is authoritative, proclamative, but we can. Now, when you're vested with authority, and this is why sometimes uh, power makes people very pompous, when you're invested with authority, your word starts to mean something. In certain contexts. If your neighbor comes up to you and says, hey, get out of the car. No. Drive away. If a police officer comes up to you and says, get out of the vehicle right now. Yes, sir. But the word has power because of the authority that's attached to it. The priests identify God's healing. Jesus demonstrates it. So to answer the question in verse 27, we could stop here and say, well, simply by whose authority is he doing this? It's, it's got to be God's because only God can cleanse a leper. Man can only identify it. God can do it. And he did. But Jesus knows our weakness. He knows our fickle hearts and he knows the hearts and the weakness of those around him. So what does he do? He sends him, verse 43 and 44, to go and show himself to the priest. Now there's another aspect of this going and showing 
Not only is it for the identification of Jesus' authority so that the priests would say it is of God, but it is also it is also for the fulfillment of all righteousness. Jesus is telling him to go to the Mosaic priesthood, to go to the temple, to go and be observed because Jesus did not come to destroy those things, but to fulfill those things. And it would be, as it were, the priest recognizing the times and going, wait, what is this? This is the time spoken of in the prophets. The dead are raised, the lame walk, the the blind can see, the lepers are healed. Oh, this Jesus has come in the authority of Jehovah. He is Jehovah's servant. Indeed, he is the incarnate Messiah. The king who has all the authority of the father and can speak and declare with that authority. So Jesus sends this leper as a witness of his authority. But now we have the stickiest part of this whole thing. Verse 45. Text says, therefore. Or however. He went out and began to proclaim it freely. Now, the word underneath that, very interestingly enough, maybe there's some of you in here that know a little bit of of Greek. Maybe you're a little Greek nerdy. Who knows? Maybe you're reading a Greek New Testament right now, and I'm not aware of it. But it says underneath there, the word is keruzo. It's the same verb, the same word for preaching. You could translate it that way, and some English translations do. You could literally say, he went out and began to preach it freely. He began to... Preach this good news of Jesus, of what he has done for him. He went out proclaiming it freely. And literally underneath that, it says much and every. He just was every. It's the image of everywhere this man got. He went, you know, he, he pulled up the sleeve, showed his arm and said, I was a leper. I was made clean. This Jesus did this for me. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? He's just sharing the gospel, as it were, the good news of Christ Jesus come. How could God be displeased with that at all? There's one caveat that we're missing. Verse 43, Jesus strictly warned him, sent him away at once and said in verse 44, see to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way and show yourself to the priest. Say nothing to anyone Until you have been declared clean, identified as clean by the priest. So here's a question. What authority did Jesus have over the leopard to command him to do that? What authority? Jesus has all authority to heal him. Does Jesus have the authority to tell him what to do? Some of you young kids might be thinking, oh no, this is a trick question. I went through catechism class, I know this. Well, the answer is, Jesus has all authority to tell you what to do. If Jesus has all authority to forgive you of your sins, to give you life from death, Jesus has all authority over every aspect of your life. 
If you would have Jesus to cleanse you, if you would have Jesus to forgive you of your sins, then you must have Jesus as your Lord. There's no separating those two things. You can't have Jesus as your Savior without having Jesus as your Lord. You can't have the cleansing that Jesus gives without obedience to what Jesus says. This is a simple fiat command. This is very similar to don't eat of that tree. You can eat of every other tree, not that one. This is a simple test of faith. Now I say that, and maybe you're thinking, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. If this is a simple test of faith, then what does the failure mean? Hmm. We don't know the ultimate uh, end of this leper. We don't know what happened after this event. So I'm not going to say that this leper did not have genuine faith and belief in Jesus Christ. We don't know. He came to him humbly. He besought him. He, he got cleansing from him. But we must also say that this leper disobeyed in a very big and very serious way. This is a lesson for us as Christians. We must understand this. That Jesus has healed us, Jesus has cleansed us, Jesus has commanded us, yet we disobey. Does that mean that Jesus no longer loves you? Does that mean that Jesus is going to take back his cleansing? Do we see later on Jesus go, hey, you leper, hey, come here, come here. No, back, leprosy's back on. Nope, you disobeyed me. No. But can we also say, based on this passage, that it pleased Jesus what this man did? Did his disobedience please Jesus? No. The back half of verse 45, it says, Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. There was real world consequences for this man's disobedience. And it was a hindrance to Jesus's ministry. We, we can't not recognize that. It's right here in the Bible. Now, how that all fits together with God's sovereignty and all his purposes and all of that, it's another sermon for another day, but here it is, dear friends. This man's disobedience was a hindrance to the gospel ministry of Christ in that day. Your and I's disobedience can very much be hindrances to the gospel ministry in our day. We need to be aware of that. We can't simply have Jesus as our Savior, but not submit to him as Lord and live any way that we want and think that it's not going to have an impact on people around us, on the ministry of Christ. How terrible is it when a man who's grown a great big ministry falls? It hurts a lot of people. How terrible is it a man, even with a little bitty ministry, a home, a father, a husband falls? It hurts a lot of people, generations. An unfaithful mother can cause a generation of pain. No, we need to maintain this reality that Jesus has authority over us, even to tell us simple things that we just must simply obey, even if we just simply don't understand it. 
Because let's be really real right now. You would probably be that leper. I would probably be that leper. Because when Jesus said, you know, hey, don't tell anyone. I'm thinking, oh, that's just a humble brag. I'm going to go out and tell everybody. I'm going to go proclaim it. I know better than he what I need to do with what he gave me. Do you know better than Jesus? Do you know better to do with what Jesus gave you than he? No. No, you don't. And I don't. There's another aspect of this, and then I promise you we'll close. There seems to be a problem with the type of preaching he was doing. And, and maybe some argue that this is really the problem. I, I, I persuaded that the first thing, he didn't submit to Jesus as his Lord, was the real problem. But this is a fruit of that, and you maybe want to quibble. Uh, we'll see. Don't do it during the sermon. That would be rude. Uh, but the other aspect of this is... Who was, Jesus, who was this leper preaching? I want you to think about it. What's the result of his preaching? Well, the crowds that we read about in verse 33, this whole city that's beginning to gather, right? That, that gathering intensifies. There's more people. So it, it, Mark is showing us, it almost moves as if Jesus, you know, kind of, you know, it's kind of inconvenient to get around, but he can still go in and out of the town. Now it moves to a place where Jesus can't even go in the town. The problem is more attendance, as it were. Now, I don't want to pick on big ministries that are faithful. There's nothing wrong with a big, faithful ministry. There's a big, faithful church. Now, there is something wrong with a church that has massive amounts of people, but no Jesus. I posit to you that part of the problem is, is this leper was going around and telling everyone, hey, guess what? Jesus will take away all your bad stuff. All I did was went to him and he cleansed me. I'm good to go. And then while I was there, he was healing a bunch of other sick people. I saw it with my own eyes. You need to go find this Jesus. He will make you happy. He will make you healthy. He will make you wealthy. Well, who wouldn't want that? If I told you right now, there's a man up the street, if you go ask him, he'll give you a million dollars. You'd be foolish not to go, okay, let's go, just go see. Just go see. That's what's happening. These crowds are gathering. They're coming to Jesus, but not Jesus as Christ, not Jesus as Messiah, not Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No, they're coming to Jesus for healing. They're not coming to Jesus for who he is. They're coming to Jesus for what he can do for them. There are thousands of churches that are absolutely slammed to the gills right now. And all they're being told is, this is what Jesus will do for you. Now, I have had the fortunate uh, experience of talking with people who have been saved out of those types of churches. See, God can even use fragments of truth to bring about uh, a knowledge of who Jesus is. And then they've come out of those churches and they've gone to more faithful churches, not always necessarily Presbyterian. Sometimes they're Baptists. It's okay. 
But they come out of these faithful, these unfaithful churches, they go into a faithful church and they, they say, I understood that the Jesus that I was being presented was not the true Jesus. But I wanted the true Jesus, so I came to him through his word. That's the problem, dear friends. But we don't approach Jesus through the word of men. It's not what Jesus can do for you or will do for you. But it's who Jesus is, and we approach him through the word of God. They were listening to the lepers preach, the former lepers preaching. And they put more trust in what that former leper was saying than the preaching of Jesus himself. Because let's face it, the preaching of Jesus himself is difficult. You don't believe me. You're in Mark. Turn ahead. Preaching of Jesus is difficult. You know what Jesus says? If you're going to follow him, you're going to take up a cross. Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, that you're going to have to die to self. Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, that you're not going to have the favor of all men. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. When he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation, and of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father, with the holy angels. And he said to them, Surely I say to you, there is some standing here this day who will see, not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. And then we see the transfiguration. That's Jesus' preaching, dear friends. Verses 34 through 38. If you would approach Christ, you don't approach the Christ that was being proclaimed by the cleansed leper. You don't approach Christ to say, well, what can you do for me? No, you approach Christ to follow him, to take up his cross, to die to sin. Why? Why? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, adulterous sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We're back to Christmas, as it were. Here's the reality. We live in an age. We live in a time. We live in a sinful generation. We think that this is how it is always going to be. And if you have had children in your home, you realize that nothing ever stays this way that it's always going to be. Well, don't fall for the lie of this sinful generation that this is always going to be what it is going to be. One day, Jesus is going to return and he's going to come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels and the only thing that you will wish you had on that day 
was his forgiveness. Everything else is going to melt away immediately. And you are only going to want him. Nothing else is going to matter. Nothing else is going to matter. Nothing else is going to matter. Only Jesus. Only his righteousness. For those of you who are here this morning who do not know Jesus, to you, dear sinner, who is still dead in your sin and trespasses, I plead with you, come to Jesus. Take up your cross. Follow him. He is full of compassion to heal you. He will heal you. Because he healed me. And Submit to him as Lord because he's coming again in glory. For you, dear Christian, my brother and my sister in Christ, young and old, look forward to that day when Jesus is coming again. Share that Jesus with your friends and your neighbors. Bring them to Christ for the healing of their bodies and souls. But tell them that that Jesus will have all the authority over them. Tell them that Jesus wants every piece of them for his glory. Don't sell them a Jesus that's easy to believe in. Sell them a Jesus that will save them. Share with them a Jesus that saved you. This is our Savior. This is our great God. And he is coming again. Amen. Let us praise him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are glorious beyond our comprehension. You have given us so much more than we can ever even think or imagine. Lord, you have given us salvation in Christ, and we look to him and him alone. The one who is full of compassion and has all authority to proclaim us clean. Lord, won't we go our way and tell the world, preach this Jesus, because you have not told us to keep silent. Indeed, you have told us to proclaim it. But may we obey that command by giving them the true Jesus. May we not fall prey to a false understanding of who you are. May we praise you more and more. May that be a daily dying to sin, taking up of our cross in humble obedience, knowing that when you return, dear Lord Jesus, that is all that will matter to us. We pray this prayer with the prayer that the Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.